0: Good morning. How's everyone doing? It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, my name is Malik Blade. Uh, I came uh, with this uh, group of friends from my, from my church in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I am here from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, we've had a great weekend thus far. I've been here since Friday, and I've had been experienced so much hospitality, so it's just been great being here with you guys at Rockfish And it will definitely be an experience to remember just with all the love that we've received these past few days. So, I want to personally, on behalf of the group, say thank you for you all who have been with us throughout the day, whether it be helping with sound or just staying in homes and meals and so on and so forth. So, we appreciate that. Uh, If you could stand with me, uh, we're going to read the text for today. We'll be coming from Galatians 5, Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. This will be our main text for today. Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. Just kind of look up at me when you found it, so I'll begin, and we can do it together. Starting at verse 26. So I tell you, live by following the Spirit. Then you will not do what your sinful selves want. Our sinful selves want what is against the spirit, and the spirit wants what is against our sinful selves. The two are against each other, so you cannot do what you please. But if the spirit is leading you, you are not under the law. The wrong things the sinful self does are clear. Being sexually unfaithful, not being pure, taking part in sexual sins, worshiping gods, doing witchcraft, hating, making trouble, being jealous, being angry, being selfish, making people angry with each other causing divisions among people, feelings of envy, being drunk, having wild and wasteful parties, and doing things like these. I warn you now, as I warned you before, those who do these things will not inherit God's kingdom. But the Spirit produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law that says these things are wrong. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their own sinful selves. They have given up their old selfish feelings and the evil things they wanted to do. We get our new life from the Spirit, so we should follow the Spirit. We must not be proud or make trouble with each other or be jealous of each other. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and who you are and the fact that you you speak to us the fact that you bother to communicate with us having been so far off from you and and not looking to you for guidance but turning to our own way you still seek us and pursue us and desire relationship with us so we thank you for that i thank you for the idea of community and family and the body of christ that we have others to encourage us and guide us and that this isn't a lonesome ideal or this isn't a practice that we do in solitude, but we can seek you out and grow and be sanctified in you with others who are pursuing you with the same heart and mind. So I pray that today we all be on one accord, that we worship you together in unity, that we go through your word together in unity, and that our heart's desire be to please you not just with our thoughts, with not just a mental ascent, but to also please you with our actions. Not to be works driven, but to yield ourselves to your spirit that we will fall in line with what you would have us to do. So we thank you for who you are. We thank you for inviting us to be into relationship with you. And if someone in here today is not in your family, I pray that they respond to the invitation today. Not to just to join a church or not to just come to an altar, but they respond to the invitation to be adopted into your family that they respond and say, yes, Jesus, I will surrender my will to yours and allow you to take it from here. I pray that someone would give themselves away today. And it's in your name that we pray all of these things. Amen. You may have your seats. So keep your finger in Galatians five. That'll be our main text for today. We're going to come back to that though. But for now, if you could turn with me to Romans eight. But we are coming back to Galatians, so keep your thumb or index finger there. Or if you have a bookmark, you can do that. And for those of us who have electronics like myself, it won't be hard to get to it. Uh, But Romans 8, verses 5 through 17, I'm going to go through those and use that as a launching pad, but we will stop in Galatians later in the message. Romans 8. Verse five, those who live following their sinful selves think only about the things that their sinful selves want. But those who live following the spirit are thinking about the things the spirit wants them to do. If people's thinking is controlled by their sinful self, there is death. But if their thinking is controlled by the spirit, there is life and peace. When people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, they are against God because they refuse to obey God's law and really are not even able to obey God's law. Those people who are ruled by their sinful selves cannot please God, but you are not ruled by your sinful selves. You are ruled by the Spirit, if that Spirit of God really lives in you. But the person who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. Your body will always be dead because of sin, but if Christ is in you, then the Spirit gives you life, because Christ made you right with God. God raised Jesus from the dead, and if God's Spirit is living in you, he will give life to your bodies that die. God is the one who raised Christ from the dead, and he will give life through his spirit that lives in you. So, my brothers and sisters, we must not be ruled by our sinful selves or live the way our sinful selves want. If you use your lives to do wrong things your sinful selves want, you will die spiritually. But if you use the Spirit's help to stop doing the wrong things you do with your body, you will have true life. The true children of God are those who let God's spirit lead them. The spirit we receive does not make us slaves again to fear. It makes us children of God. With that spirit, we cry out, Father. And the spirit himself joins out with our spirits to say we are God's children. If we are God's children, we will receive blessings from God together with Christ. But we must suffer as Christ suffered so that we will have glory as Christ has glory. So I take us there to show you a divide that we see here in the text. Uh, We see a comparison between spirit-led people and people not led by the spirit, people led by their flesh or the, the, the unnatural, unspiritual desires of the flesh. So we see a divide right down the middle. And the interesting thing is Paul is writing this letter to a church. One would ask, why would the apostle take time to write to a group of church people about salvation? Our assumption is that if you attend church, if you're involved in church, then of course you're saved. That's just a given, right? Most of us assume those things, but today we're going to begin to examine what salvation looks like. And ultimately, salvation is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and once the Spirit has indwelled you, you produce fruit. The reality is, there are unsafe people within church. It's not simply an act or a tradition of arriving and being involved with other people who attend church, but it's actually a choice to yield to the Holy Spirit's leading. There's one thing to have someone who's not saved, who doesn't attend church at all. Many times we will call them an unbeliever or an unrepentant person or unregenerate person. So these people tend to be content with where they are in life. They're in the world and they're just doing their thing and things make complete sense to them. But the difference is when you have someone who's not saved, who's attending church, they tend to believe that they are still for eternity. They believe that, well, I'm here. I'm involved with a group of Christians. So when I die, I'm going to heaven. But it's much more than just arriving at the church building. Personal observations, and then we'll get to Galatians 5. Uh, some things I've, I've noted is that in, in, in doing different ministry events and, and being involved with different churches in uh, Southeastern Seminary, I think we tend to assume salvation is based on certain things that we do. So this is just going to take, we're going to take some time to dispel some of the things that we personally believe that don't actually line up with scripture. Uh, One is being raised in church. Ever since I was born, I remember my mom or dad taking me to church. So now that I've arrived and I'm an adult, I just believe I'm saved. I don't really think about life change or yielding to the spirit or living in community, but They've always told me to go, and I still go, so I believe I'm saved. That's a a common belief that we have within church, but also the culture. Many worldly people who attend church occasionally, they do the Mother's Day Easter thing. They come to church those Sundays, and the belief is, well, yeah, I'm saved. I'm I'm Christian, or I'm religious. So we need to understand how the world tends to uh, perceive these things. Also, a lot of people think they're saved just by association because they have a family member who was a minister. My great-grandfather was a a bishop, or I have a cousin who was a deacon. But we don't get access to God by association with Christian people, but it's a personal thing that has to happen within us. Many people believe that that baptism is what saves you. So at one point, you were dipped in water, or some people do sprinkling, but some people believe that if you were baptized, then by then, your salvation came in that moment. And we believe not that that's not the case. Baptism is an expression of that you make to the public about what Christ has done for you. So baptism comes after salvation. It's not the thing that saves you, but it's something that we are asked to do as a public declaration of our faith in Christ. So baptism isn't going to save us. Uh, Praying occasionally. Most people, when times get hard, if a a close member of your family or loved one passes, you lose a job, the thought is, it's time to ask for prayer. And we turn to prayer because... It makes us feel like we have, we're accessing some power. I think what happens is we, when we realize we don't have control, then we opt to pray because we recognize we need some, someone higher than us to intervene on our behalf. But once again, simply praying or getting on our knees and closing our eyes and talking alone isn't going to be enough to grant us salvation or access to heaven. Uh, oftentimes when people have this view on life, They tend to make their own dreams and goals. They plan their life out. I want to be a lawyer by 26, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. And God, can you bless my plan? We plan out our lives, and then we go back and ask God, can you please be a part of these dreams and goals that I have? And it's nothing wrong to ask God to bless the things that you want. However, as believers, we yield ourselves to what God's plan for our life is. We fall in line with his plan. We don't ask him to adjust to our dreams and goals. The unsaved churchgoer makes the final makes their own final decision. They don't check off with elders or ask someone with more wisdom than them. They don't have to worry about what other people have to say, but they make the final decision. So if they decide that I'm going to leave Nellie's for Virginia and I'm moving to Arkansas, they just do it, just like that. They don't ask anybody, don't get any wisdom. They just move. They make the final decision, and I say this, acknowledging that this person makes decisions without consulting with biblical community or without surrendering to God. There's no prayer. Or seeking God about the decisions they make, but they just move because the reality is, in their mind, they're God. They may not literally say that, but if you haven't surrendered to Christ, then you're your own God. If you're not worshiping some other idol. You make the found decisions. Being well-versed in church tradition. So you may play the acoustic guitar, the piano, or the organ, or, or you know how to hold the offering plate, or you're an usher. All those things are great, but... Being involved in church and having different rituals that we do, that's not going to save us either. These people tend to look lively and bright on the outside, but are dead on the inside. The unsaved person, whether in church or out of church, tends to have difficulty forgiving. If this person hasn't come to terms with the reality of the fact that Christ forgave the worst in us, then they tend to have difficulty forgiving forgiving others that have wronged them. And last, but most importantly, not least, is this person, whether in church or out of church, doesn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And the Holy Spirit inside of us is what makes us right. It's what, when God looks at us, instead of seeing our sin, he sees his son inside of us. He sees the Holy Spirit inside of us. He sees the image of his son and he sees, okay, these are my children. These are my people. So Christ made it possible for us to have a relationship with God so that we can get credit for. For what he did, he lived the perfect life and didn't do anything wrong and took the death that we should have taken. So we now have opportunity to be pleasing in the sight of God. Those are personal observations, but let's let's again go back to Galatians 5. Verses 16 to 26. And it says, live following the spirit and if we jump down to verse 19 we see a list of a lot of different sins going on from being sexually unfaithful not being pure witchcraft hating making trouble selfishness and anger and causing strife and division and for many people that'll make them cringe in their seats because they'll say well i've done that i've made that mistake i've been involved with that And I don't want you to feel any condemnation today because the reality is partaking in these sins does not automatically mean that you're not saved. At one point or another, we've all sinned. That's just the reality. As much as we don't like to talk about it, we can be agreed and on one accord that at one point or another, I and all of you have fallen short of the glory of God and made mistakes that don't glorify him or sinned against him. But the beauty is because of Jesus Christ, as believers... If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, when you do make those mistakes, when you do sin, three things happen. See, the major difference is for us believers, we should respond with these three things I'm going to get to. But an unbeliever, when they sin, there's no remorse. They keep going. So it's one thing to be deliberately involved in something. It's another thing to make a mistake and to make amends for it. So as believers, when we sin, three things should happen. If you want to take these down, there should be conviction. When we sin, there's conviction. John sixteen eight says, and when he comes, meaning the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. There's remorse for what was done wrong. So I don't freely continue doing what I was doing, but I, there's an a aching within me that says this isn't pleasing to God. This isn't right. And it's not on my own goodness, but it's the Holy Spirit inside of me saying, this isn't pleasing me, this isn't pleasing me, this isn't pleasing me. So he lets you know what's wrong, but he also empowers you to make amends for it, to turn away. So there's conviction, and that conviction pushes us to confession. Confession. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that God can heal you. When a believing person prays, great things happen. Confession tends to be a little more difficult for us because a lot of us take the, the easy way out and we think if we sin in private, we'll deal with it in private. We tend to think that we're our own doctor. We can fix the illnesses and the brokenness within us. But confession challenges us to be humble and it challenges us to confess those things to other believers that we're in community with. It's not just the me and God thing over here, but God says, no, let it out. And I think there's beauty in that because once you've confessed something to the public, it can no longer hold you hostage. No one can blackmail you for something you've already put out in the open. I tend to ask, imagine if we all practice this freely. There'd be a lot less issues of idolatry and pride because the reality is we'll see each other all on the same level, just as God sees us. We tend to think that if someone has a position in church— or preaches a lot, or sings worship songs, that God kind of likes them a little bit more. That's not the case at all. God sees us all as sinful humanity in need of a savior, and he loves us all the more that he tries to make us, into, make us look more like him, conform us to his image. So he sees us all the same. So we need to begin to produce a culture where we see each other. All is broken in need of assistance. And when we look for a remedy, we need to point people back to Jesus. And one of the ways of helping with the sin that exists is confession. Confessing to one another that you might be healed. So the remedy for this issue within us is the confession. And many of us are wondering, the reality is, how do I deal with this sin? There's something I'm struggling with. There's a habit. It can be the past five days. It can be the past ten years that this has been an issue for me, and I need help and god 's word lets us know that with confession comes healing, and lastly is repentance, conviction, confession, and repentance second chronicles seven fourteen says Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways or repent of their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore or heal their land. Repentance is an act. It means to turn away from. So after you've been convicted and you confess what you've done, you actually take steps to avoid it. For the person that's overcoming and alcohol abuse, I wouldn't recommend going to the bar. I would say, try to stay away from that. We have to actively take steps to avoid falling back into it. Yes, the Holy Spirit gives us strength, but he also gives us wisdom. So don't walk back into the bar and say, Holy Spirit, help me. But no, you actually take steps to not fall back into it. So there's conviction, confession, and repentance. And these remedies point us back to the Spirit As the ultimate help. For our issue of sin. If someone isn't saved. They're trying. And even saved people do what We try to fix the sin within us. I've been injured. And now I'm going to fix myself. But the reality is. We can't be the patient and the doctor. I've heard it compared. To cleaning. A stain. With a dirty rag. You just smear it. All the more, because of our brokenness and because of the issue that we have, we can't be the patient and the doctor. So we have to then ask God, the Holy Spirit, who is completely pure and sinless, to come in and be the difference maker. We can't fix ourselves. It's not so much living for Christ or religious, but is is Christ living through us, right living, empowered through the Holy Spirit. So, yes, we fall short, and I know a lot of these verses in Romans 8 and Galatians 5 will beat us over the head and make us feel condemned, but Romans 8, verse 1, lets us know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, yes, the Bible acknowledges specific sins and tells us these things are wrong, but God also gives us power through the Holy Spirit to overcome. So we don't have to stay where we are. But how bold are we to confess those things? How bold are we to actively repent? I think many of us fear the reality of not meeting the expectations of other people in church. Especially those in leadership feel it all the more because we feel led to meet a standard they're supposed to be a little bit more holier than us, so they shouldn't make mistakes. And I do believe we are held to a higher or pastors are held to a higher standard biblically. But the reality is, no one is sinless. And no particular sin is any worse than the other. So you can, you can stick your chest out and you can boldly say, yes, I've fallen short. But Christ loves me. We can all say that, that, that we're loved by Jesus Christ. We're loved by our God in heaven. And he chooses to lavish his love upon us and make us more like him. So he doesn't leave us in our sinful state, but he gives us the power to change. Some of, some of us have lied, cheating, or stolen, but the Holy Spirit can break those habits as we meditate on God's word. Some may have been sexually immoral, but the Holy Spirit can change those desires and cast our, if we cast our cares and desires on him. Some of us have evil thoughts in our minds and hearts like greed or hate, and the Holy Spirit can cleanse all of those things out if we just surrender. It seems simple enough, but how often do we do it? If God doesn't deliver us from said issue in our timeline, we begin to doubt his goodness, right? God, I've been praying about this too long and you haven't responded. I hope you didn't miss me. But we have to remember that God in his sovereignty stands outside of time and sees when this became an issue for us and he sees us in the future as well. But how much do we trust that he will be the one to deliver us and make the change within us? Because I don't know about you, but I've tried and tried to change certain aspects about myself that I didn't like. And it it doesn't seem to work when I do it myself. Maybe that's just me, though. Uh, Verse 22 of Galatians 5. The Spirit produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Getting back to the idea of salvation. The verse says fruit and it's singular and not plural In that it's saying not fruit. but Sometimes you have joy, sometimes joy, sometimes you have love, sometimes you have peace. Uh, but it's the fruit of the spirit. So when the spirit is in us, all of these things come out. It, we're marked by the spirit living in us and we're exhibiting these traits to others. And the reality is, if you have a person who's not bearing these fruit, or maybe bearing the fruit of the flesh, they lack a true understanding of what the gospel entails. In many cases, I've done a lot of ministry events with with Southeastern Seminary and different churches, and, and we work with the youth a lot. And I will have to say that our churches have been strong in many different areas. But I will say that, based on my personal experience, that in many cases, we have failed the youth. Because when we go out and we ask them, what is the gospel? I can count on one hand, having been to many churches, how many of the youth are able to, to explain what the gospel is. They're not quite sure. But Romans 1.16 lets us know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of salvation, so how can you have salvation without the gospel? They go hand in hand. This is the means to this. So we have to imprint the gospel on the hearts of the youth if we expect them to grow up and stay consistent with God. Good advice here. A Bible verse there is not what's going to make the difference, but the seed of the gospel sown is what grows up later. Our faith has to be in the gospel and not our traditions. I explain the gospel this way. The triune God... Redeeming a fallen world to Himself through the person of Jesus Christ for His glory and our response, Triune God, redeeming a fallen world to Himself through the person of Jesus Christ for His glory and our response. So, because of sin, we're separated from God. We were at one point, but because of the work of Jesus Christ and taking on our sin on the cross and dying and taking on the punishment that we were supposed to take. And living the perfect life that we couldn't live, we now have the opportunity to have relationship with God again. Our relationship has been renewed due to one man's sacrifice. So our relationship with God was broken through the sins of Adam, but it was restored through the perfect life of Jesus Christ, the second Adam. So we look to him for the help. And the reality is we need to look at ourselves today and say, have I been living in accordance with what the word says the spirit within a believer looks like. And if I fall on astray once again, it's okay. You're not condemned. But there's conviction and confession and repentance that needs to take place. So where do you stand in that process? Have you been exhibiting the fruit of the spirit? Do you need to pray for someone else who's claiming to be a believer, but is bearing bad fruit? Is it you today that, that feels convicted? Is it you today that needs to confess something? Because once again, it's not just the me and God thing, but God challenges us to share it with one another and have others pray for us. Sanctification is a community process. It shouldn't be done in solitude. Someone may need to repent today. So we're going to have a time of prayer and I want you to examine yourself individually. Is there someone that I know that I need to pray for? Whether they be a believer or an unbeliever. Or is it myself that has some something to do today? Whether it be confession or repentance. Because I believe the conviction is already there if you're a believer. So we're going to pray. And you're welcome to come forward. Uh... I'll be open to pray with whomever. But just allow the spirit to speak to you today. Just push aside tradition or or the, the favor we believe we've built up because I've been in church for X amount of years. And let's just look at the me of today or the you of today. Where do I stand in light of God's word? Let's pray. God, I thank you that that your word is challenging. And sometimes a hard pill to swallow. But we'd much rather a difficult word to hear than the true punishment we deserve. I thank you that you don't just point out the wrongs in us, but you give us the ability to change through the power of your Holy Spirit. So if, if we're if we have someone today who's who's been in church but truly not depending on you but depending on their church attendance or their association with Christian things, I pray today that that idol will be taken down and they can look to you as the true healer. If someone in here is just a frequent church churchgoer and not saved today, I pray that they can accept you, convict their hearts and draw them to yourself, and I pray that they can surrender. Help us to trust you, not just in our words, but also in our deeds. Do what only you can. Change the hearts of your people, for you are our creator. You're our redeemer, you're our healer, and you are the savior. If someone needs saving today, whether it be salvation in general or saving from a specific sin or habit, I pray they run to you. Help us to realize that we can't fix ourselves. If we were able to, then there'd be no need for a God. We thank you for loving us first and empowering us to do what you would have us. Move in this place today. Help us to produce fruit good fruit that points others to you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.